tried to tell people Jamal Murray does matter. This is Locked On Nuggets. You are Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On Network, your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. We appreciate you guys joining us on whatever platform you choose, whether you're in the live chat section with us on YouTube, join folks like Danny and Ryan and Irwin and Steve and Rhino who's complaining about us being late. I'm sorry, I got a lot going on. Joe, John E, Kyron, Irwin, all sorts of folks hanging out with us, or if you're catching us on podcasts or Spotify, we appreciate you guys listening and being a part of making us part of your lives. I really appreciate you guys, each and every single one of you for joining us. Today's show is brought to you by Price Picks. Price Picks is daily fantasy made easy. First time users receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Promo code locked on. That's pricepicks.com. Promo code locked on. I'm Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. He's Adam Mares. He's director of content for DMVR. Uh, you can catch pre and post game show for every Nuggets game and daily different Nuggets content at DMVR. Check out the games at the DMVR bar. It's the best show, best place for you to watch any Colorado sports event, including sadly the Avalanche. Loss to the Kraken. Bummer. Tough year. They're going to be back, man. They're going to be back. On today's show, we'll react to game one of the Phoenix Suns versus the Denver Nuggets. Uh, we will talk about the Nuggets win over the Suns, all the things that, that happened, all the things, how it went down. I have questions for Adam. I have things that we got to get to. There's a lot. Uh, we appreciate you guys joining us and being patient with us. I, I know lots of folks were wanted the show earlier. I, I was wiped out last night. We got in. I wanted time to kind of, I wanted time to like, get around things and so i wanted to start here um on the dmvr on the the big show we did with ryan and and um and cam swipe you know i made a comment i was like well i think jamal's you know ceiling is lower than booker's floor right and like immediately was like okay that's not right like i know that that's not <laughs> right 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 like, i know that's not accurate um but like i said it you talk enough you're gonna say dumb things and that's that's definitely true People don't appreciate that enough that like when you're a professional talker, inevitably you say something that you didn't mean or phrase it poorly or whatever. It's like, it happens. Yeah. Um, also I just talk a lot. So just things come out of my mouth and who knows, who knows if they have any meaning. Um, I want to talk about Jamal Murray. <laughs> on the first, on the first phone call that Jamal was ever on with Duncan's media after the draft, he basically was immediately like, well, I'm a point guard. Like it was immediately like he was already setting the tone. And from day one, he has tried to set the tone for his career. He has tried to guide it. And what's been cool has been that he has come to conclusions. He hasn't recklessly thrown himself into the same ideas that he thought he was all along the way. He has adapted his game to what his career needed. He became a more solid point guard. He learned to operate in two-man game with Jokic. There was a time when Adam and I up in section two, whatever, would be talking about like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know that, that Jamal and Nicola have chemistry and I don't know if they're going to get it. Like, that was a thing. That was a thing. And really? developed it. Yeah, it really was that. early. This is early. This is way back, way back. Um, And then like, it really popped and it started to come together and it got better and better and better and better and better. It was even like that season. It got better. Jamal, like the conversation is about the injury and the conversation is about the bubble and the conversation about this. I have an appreciation more than ever after this game for Jamal Murray's career as a basketball player. And it's not just the scoring. 
and the insane, like the post-up turnaround fadeaway that he hit was absolute sickness in that second half. It wasn't, it's not just that. And it's not just that he had nine assists in the box score. It's not just the plus minus. It's that Jamal Murray gives to this game what you should. Is that Jamal Murray gives to the game of basketball his soul. He gives his heart. He cares a lot. And he cares about doing it for this team in that city, for this franchise, for those fans. And it's why he is such an emotional heartbeat. And I think that the injury caused a lot of things and he's gotten older, but that performance was an inspiring moment for me in sports. That moment was one of the good things that I can find. And as somebody that has become pretty jaded about the NBA, it was really awesome to see what Jamal can give to a fan base, to a team, because honestly, in a league that is driven by agendas and agents and player empowerment and teams manipulating things and all this other stuff that goes on. The thing that Jamal talked about at post game that he was most pissed about, not just the conversation about him. He was pissed about the conversation about the nuggets as a team, because he believes in this team and those guys are in it together and they believe about what they can do together. And his greatness is reflected in what he can do with those guys and for those guys and for those fans. And so I have nothing but the utmost respect, appreciation, admiration, and awe for what Jamal Murray did in game one. All year, the conversation has been about Nikola Jokic and the MVP. And whenever people, whenever I've gone on any other like guest podcast or anything, you know, gone on a podcast as a guest, and people ask me about the MVP, I tell them it's like I'm annoyed by it. And one of the reasons is because it's not the best story about the Nuggets this year. It's not the most interesting. It's not the most pertinent. The most pertinent, interesting stories are the growth of Michael Porter Jr., like a pretty accelerated growth this year compared to previous years, and the return of Jamal Murray, where we saw little pockets of his ceiling coming back, you know, more and more, and how he changes the identity of this roster and this team and and and, and everything else um, when he plays like that. And then you get to the playoffs. And you see his best games. I think game one was a top five game of his career. And he has some really, really good ones. But the way he absolutely dominated and controlled, not just, he didn't just dominate with the shot making. He did obviously have incredible shot making. But he and Jokic together set the table on rewatch. I've now rewatched this game, of course, all the way through. They set the table together every single play. But a lot of it is Jamal Murray being able to know exactly what he needs to do to set it up. And then exactly what he needs to do to knock it down. And it just, when he turned to the camera, he, Murray, it's funny because Yoke's my favorite player of all time, my favorite nugget of all time. But Jamal has some of the best individual moments and not just moments, but even like um, character moments. The bubble where he talked after the game and kind of broke down, you know, those, those, those moments. When he went to the cameras and said, we're ready for this, there's not a thing he could have said that would have been cooler in that moment. He basically took the entire Nuggets' season and really their eight-year arc and distilled it down into a single moment. Three-pointer that put the game away in a 20-point blowout over the Phoenix Suns and then turned to the camera and just said, just so you know what you guys have missed from not paying attention to us for the last six months, here's what you need to know. We're ready. Uh, Murray was 
spicy is is a, this term that's used it's not accurate okay so like i have a hot sauce subscription there's like oh yeah that's got some kick to it and then there's like oh god i need milk now that was the level of heat that jamal had in the press like he was seething because and like if you're like why like what did you guys do fair question it's because there's a direct correlation between how jamal played and how pissed off he is post game I, I guarantee you he is never as like mad at the media collectively like and we're blamed for like well everybody everybody but ryan blackburn like that's that's the reality but like the question post game i think from tnt was what started it and that got him in the mood and then he came up and he was like he was in that zone and like that's who he is and honestly like for me i'm like athletes are public figures like they have public personas like to me that's like a good thing the only reason i bring this up is like it's a reflection again of the intensity and the fire because i think you need that you need that next to Nicola and Aaron because of how steady and how balanced. And like, those guys are fierce competitors too, but like, you need that. Like Denver needed that moment that you talked about. Like they need those moments. Like those moments matter in a team's story. And if they're going to go further, they're going to need that one and more. Right. And that's what's so cool about Murray. And look, I don't love that he is, you know, a, a sub all-star performer in the regular season. If he continues this string of play, I think the standard for what it will take for him to be an all-star will lower a lot, rightfully so. But nonetheless, I don't always love that. But what I will say is the way he steps up into the playoffs, teams in the playoffs always look at what does a team do best. And in this case, it's almost always Jokic. And they think, how do we make it hard on you? Well, the great thing about Jokic is he can always obviously mold his game, read the court and say, oh, they're going to do this. Then the answer is this. But you have to have a counterpunch to your punch. And games like that, Jamal Murray able to find Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, uh, Damian Lee, wherever they are on the court, and then torture them. That is the counterpunch that's like, well, we can't let Yoke roll. We can't do this. We got to overload and we got to trust that whoever's out there on an island with Murray can can hold their own. Those three guys could not hold their own. Akogi and Tory Craig couldn't hold their own either, but they could at least disrupt. But when he got those guys and he was so crafty in how he got those guys guarding him, they had no chance. And it wasn't just that they had no chance, Matt. The shots weren't hitting the rim. No. The moves weren't complex. The moves were, oh, I've got him. Jab step, side step. I mean, it was just like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm just going to toy with you and make it clear that this is easy for me. And it was a masterful performance from him. On the other side, I want to take a break. On the other side, we'll get to some of the basketball stuff of this, including uh, there's actually a player that Jamal reminded me a lot of in game one. We'll talk about that. Yeah, I asked here. questions for Adam about Nicola, the good and the bad. Uh, and we'll get into some more of the matchup advantages that led to Denver's blowout game one victory over the Phoenix Suns. We'll do that on the other side. But first, I need to tell you about Price Picks. Price Picks is daily fantasy made easy, and now they've got a $1 million daily Superflex promotion going on for the NBA playoffs through the finals. Every day of the NBA playoffs through the finals, one Price Picks user will win a chance of becoming a millionaire. One entry placed after 8 a.m. Eastern will be randomly selected each day. Whoever placed that entry will be given a six-pack flex with the following payouts. Six picks correct equals $1 million. Five correct equals $80,000. Four correct equals $16,000. Full details can be found at pricepicks.com slash million. You must opt in at this link to be eligible for the million-dollar entry. And once you opt in, all you have to do is play the game like normal, and you could be the lucky winner. Price picks is so easy to play. You just pick two to five players. 
And if they will score more or less than their projection, you can win up to 25 times your money. They've got all your sports covered. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's just that easy. And they offer safe and fast withdrawals. They're currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. Download the Price Picks app or go to pricepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports and get in on the $1 million daily Superflex promotion. You can start with using promo code locked on and get a 100% instant deposit match. That's promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Price Picks is daily fantasy made easy. We'll be right back on Locked On Nuggets. Back here on Locked On Nuggets. Thanks for joining us and making us part of your day. Appreciate you guys being with us on a Sunday night, heading into Monday. If you're listening to us on Monday, thanks for joining us on the day of game two. Um, you know who he reminded me of? And I posted some clips over on Locked On Nuggets on the Twitter feed. He reminded me of Chris Paul from earlier in his career, man. Like that snake pick and roll for the little leaner. What's wrong? What? Why are you laughing? <sighs> That's just funny. That's just funny. Chris Paul's a great point guard. Like <laughs> it he, sure is. He might he might be considered a jackass by most people in Denver, but especially like early in his career, um, that snake pick and roll that when he drug Aiden out in that side pick and roll right and got him extended onto that switch, that's what Chris did to Jokic two seasons ago. And Jamal no, yeah. about torturing him. They got their own medicine in this one because Jamal on those possessions that you mentioned on on those, it was the same kind of stuff of just absolute. I'm in control of this game, and if you're going to send more resources at me, I'm going to punish you with the passing. The nine assists do like cannot be overlooked here. Phenomenal performance, obviously from Jamal, but like you were talking about before the break, that lethality of approach to you do not have the personnel and whatever you bring at me, I'm going to hurt you with it is such a big playoff thing. Well, the first part of that is huge. I mean, this is the contrast between last round and this round is last round. You had Rudy Gobert rim protector. And then you had, you know, Nikhil Alexander Walker playing the best five games of basketball of his career. So you have those two things working and Denver still overcame it in five. And Murray, obviously a huge, huge part of that to me, this is a team that doesn't have the personnel to guard him. Akogi and Craig, both in the first game, I thought did not look up to that challenge. They were easier to screen. Suns were quicker to switch, you know, guard to guard action. So they were quicker to put the worst defenders on Jamal Murray. And then they didn't have any rim protection inside. But to me, Matt, so all the things you're, you said about, you know, him reminding you of Chris Paul, this or that, all that true, except for to me, he absolutely can do anything on the court like Yogi, you'll get all the credit for being able to bend to whatever it is the defense gives you Jamal Murray and Jokic together now have been doing this so long. And as a team, there's some such continuity and an identity to what their plan is that when they get a team that can't guard them, they just go exactly where they want on every possession. And to me, it's the biggest standout. So even getting away from Jamal Murray, because I actually thought this was a good Jokic game minus his horrible shooting, which is obviously a concern, but the two of them on every play, it was like a game of chess where they could say, we're going to go over here and the shot's going to come from this spot from this guy. And they went there and they took the shot. It was just such a, you don't have the guys to make this hard on us. So we're going to decide what we do on every single possession. And the offense, I don't think people quite understand. There was some hot shot making. I mean, you know, KCP was hot early. Jamal Murray obviously made a bunch. But I don't think people quite realize how overwhelming Denver's offense was in that game. A yeah. Historic offense in the key moments of the game. 
Yeah, they were, you know, somebody in the, in the chat hit, hit the, Steve said this. Uh, he said, to me, the biggest story is how the Nuggets came in waves. Murray, then Gordon, then MPJ, then Bruce Brown, back to Murray. Like, it, it's true. Like, a, a lot of the reason that I like the Nuggets in the series is I was like, they have more guys. Like, if, if you want to say that Durant is the best player in the series, I think we, like, Nuggets fans would argue, and that's fine. But, like, okay who's number two. And if you want to be like, well, it's, it's Devin Booker. Okay. Hold on. Time out. Here's the thing about KD and he had a great game. Yes. The impact was so light. Yes. Remember, like I said that on, I said that on our, our preview thing, like he does not impact the game the same way. Go ahead. And a lot of this is because, you know, they're good scores like him and Booker both, but they keep trying to get into these ways that just does not move any pieces or it doesn't do anything. Whereas Denver, we'll call them checkmate possessions where you put pressure somewhere where it's like you're either going to give up a dunk or you're going to give up a wide open corner three. That would be a checkmate, right? Pick your poison. Which way do you want to die? And then we're getting the exact shot we want. I thought 70% of the possessions in that game were checkmate possessions, where Denver put them in a position where it was like, are you going to give us the layup or are you going to compromise yourself to give us the the three or, or what have you? And that's the, that's the difference is KD made a lot of tough shots. He's almost impossible to guard one-on-one. But Denver really decided exactly how they were going to go about it. And it wasn't just the, sh- the spectacular shot making. And then we get into the math part of it. But I mean, I don't want to call it the math part. We just get into the what's sustainable. And again, Kevin Durant had an A game, I would say. Maybe A minus yeah. if you yeah. want to like grade it. Devin Booker had probably a B game. Like it wasn't bad. I think nope. it was an average playoff game for him, if not a little bit better. Um, Eaton with 7 of 11. Like things happened that were positive for them. But one, they don't have any depth. That's extremely clear. Suns fans being up mad at Landry, Sham- uh, Landry Shamet, I think, is kind of funny. But the truth is, all of the guys outside of their big four are so compromised in some way, in ways that Denver was able to take advantage of easily in their sleep. Uh, but two, the offensive rebounding just to me looks like a thing that will be consistent every night. They're going to offensive rebound in this series. Uh, the turnovers, the Suns didn't really make it hard. I don't think this was a game where Denver was especially taking care of the ball. It's just not that hard not to turn it over against the Suns. So I think all of those margins that are matter so much, when I watched the game and when I rewatched the game and when I broke it all down, I just walked away going, Denver's stuff I think is sustainable, more or less. And I'm, I really don't think there's a whole lot of options for Phoenix on the other side. I want to ask you about Nicola because I didn't get a chance. Like I went over a lot today, but I didn't get a chance to really dive into his. I saw some stuff. Why, like – We'll talk about, I want to separate out the shooting because I want to ask you separately about that. But as far as impact stuff and the things that he did in this game, what did you think that he did really well on rewatch? So if Murray and Jokic dictated how this game went, every single possession, like I said, they just said, we want to go here. Here's an example of how, of how dominant I think Denver was. I think they ran the four or five pick and roll. Usually in basketball, usually this is called elbow get where, uh, Gordon sets the screen, you run Jokic going to the right, and then they throw it over the top. They ran it three times, got wide open shots every time and missed them all. Like they didn't get any of those. And it didn't matter because then they would go to another set, get exactly, they'd run it three times, get three different looks, get exactly what they want. Then they'd go to pick and roll, get exactly what I want, they want. And I just thought Jokic reading the different reads, like, oh, they're doing this. Okay, I'm going to play it this way. Telling guys, here's what's going to happen. He was so in control of every single possession, along with Murray. I I don't want to take any credit away from Murray. Murray, I thought, was his equal tonight in terms of, oh, they're going to do this, we're going to do that, and and score on it. But Jokic, I thought, was so in command of the control of the flow of this game 
that every single possession went the exact way he wanted, minus the fact that he couldn't make a shot. Defensively, Nicola was really good. Yep. That play at the level was really was really good, and it it was effective. The backside rotations were great. Um, they really locked in. I asked Wynn in the in the in the post game. Uh, we're in the locker room, and I asked him, um, "Look, guys are are wrapped all the time, and it's preventative. Jokic's wrap on his his wrist post games now is getting to be it's getting it's pretty big." Um, I I will tell you that on a ten point scale, I'm up to like a level four on Nicola with the wrist because I am like he doesn't he can impact the game in all sorts of ways, right? But like, if he is missing as many as many st- as much stuff at the rim as he has been, and this is like we had the Wolves game, and then this one, like I have a little bit of concern. It just takes away again margin of error here. Um, you don't seem like you're concerned about it. Tell me what you think about the shooting from Nicola. I mean, well, first of all, you have to be a little concerned about it because it, it's such an outlier, you know, in, in his career. I think he's only shot below fifty percent in four series. Last one, this one, and then only two prior against Phoenix two years ago, and then his first ever one against the Spurs. That's the only time he's ever shot below 50% from the field. Now, so I do think you have to be a little concerned about it, although I will say that he wasn't shooting below 50% until game five. So to me, it's a two-game sample size of him shooting so poorly. If it happens in the third game, I'll be concerned, especially the type of misses that he had. I want to wait until then, and one of my thoughts – one of the things I'm curious about, he clearly is in pain. How much does the bandage help the pain? And how much does it limit his movement? Because it might be a thing where he's going, it's not helping the pain a lot and it's making me miss shots. I'm just going to have to play through the pain. I would not be surprised if we arrive at that spot and then he's back to making shots or what have you. Or it might be a thing where he just has to adjust to it and and they'll adjust and get going. So um, I'm not too concerned about it even though it's clear that we've never seen him have two games where he misses the type of shots he, it's not just that he shot poorly. It's that the type of shots he got were the best types of shots in his arsenal. Uh, I thought Bruce Brown had a rough first half and then was absolutely phenomenal in the second half. I thought he was absolutely terrific. Obviously like the huge kind of like dynamic plays were, were big. They Uh, can't put the thing is here's, here's the other part of this, Matt, when they have their four stars and then one, you know, Craig, a Kogi, whoever else it is, they're a pretty good team and they're hard to guard. Whenever they take any of those four guys off and play with yes. just two or three of them, they're putting multiple guys on the court that Denver is ignoring in some capacity. And when you were talking about Jokic's defense being great, I think it's easier for him to be great with the aggressive scheme that they were playing out on the perimeter with him. And not just with him, with others as well. When you know that you have a guy in help side who's basically ignoring his man and just helping. And that was what Denver was getting away with. And that's where I think Phoenix is going to try to make some adjustments, but Landry Shamit got absolutely cooked. Whenever he was on the court, Jamal Murray found him every time. I think his defensive rating was uh, minus 300 or whatever it was because he was he was giving up so many points every single time down the court. Damian Lee went in. When you mentioned Bruce Brown, they tried to put Damian Lee. They were down 10 points. They needed three pointers. They needed to come back. Bruce Brown went right at him. He took him from the perimeter to a layup in isolation. That's the most you can dominate a player one-on-one. Um, and he did it two times in a row. And then who's the other guy they tried to, they tried to, oh, Jock Landale. I mean, to tell you how, what would be the equivalent of Denver going to Damian Lee, uh, Jock Landale in in game one? Is that Reggie Jackson and Vladko Chanchar? Uh, I would say it's Vladko 
Uh, no, I'm sorry. I would say it's Zeke and Reggie. Yeah, it's Zeke and Reggie. So Zeke and Reggie, um, like if Denver went to those in game one, you'd probably be like, my gosh, we're trying already reaching for things. The fact that that's where Phoenix is going to me just tells you that they don't have guys they trust and that the guys that they're trying to fill the gaps around aren't the guys that will that make sense to fill the gaps around them. They're lacking the tools. They weren't put on that roster to support KD. They were put on the roster to support the other version of the Suns, and they haven't completed their roster yet. So I think Denver just knows exactly how to take advantage of their shortcomings. And then on the defensive end, it makes their defense so much better when they're able to overload the way they did. And then lastly, man, I know I'm talking a lot here, but lastly, another thing that was interesting about the defense, and I'll have a video up of this. I'm going to try to work on it early in the morning uh, with Ryan Green, but they, anytime a player, whether it was Jokic or whether it was Michael Porter Jr. And occasionally Jeff Green, whenever they got stuck in an ISO situation on KD or Devin Booker behind the three-point line, they would send a sec a double team. They would wait, they would time it. Then they would send the hard double team and dare them to swing the ball around the perimeter, knowing that there are guys on the court that they don't want to swing the ball to. And it worked very, very well. We'll see how Phoenix counters. But at the end of the day, you either have guys you trust or guys you don't. And I just think they have a lot of guys they don't trust. We'll talk about some of the guys that, that uh, the, the Suns fans think are going to be the answers on the other side. We'll also talk about uh, some of the adjustments we expect. I'll And I have some thoughts on um, how important Game 2 is from a Denver perspective beyond the obvious. We'll do that on the other side when we return on Locked on Nuggets. Back here on Locked on Nuggets. Thanks for joining us, making us part of your day. Appreciate you guys being with us, Adam. I just, I need to, can I, I got to. Why do they think campaign is the answer? Like. Who thinks that? All of PHNX and most of the other Suns. Well, like, like, well Lockdown, yeah. No, Locked on Suns, I think, isn't that like all of the Suns fans are like, you got to bench Shamit, You got to play campaign. Do they think that they're going to get more stops with Cam? I think this is a big part of it is you always feel about your offense. You're always worried about that. I just don't, I think, and then I think there's the sense of Denver just made shots. I saw a Warriors fan, like some, some Suns fans say something like Denver was absurdly hot. They'll never shoot like that again. And, and then some Wolves fans, like, I remember saying that five times like last week or something like that. The thing is when you go back and watch Murray's great shot making, some of it was legitimately great shot making a little, a tiny, tiny amount of it. A lot of it was, I know what I'm trying to do. NBA play. This is why Chris Paul shot 70% from mid-range two years ago when they played each other. It's not because he ran hot. It's because he knew Jokic wasn't going to step up. And he knew exactly when, where, and how the shots were going to come. And these are NBA players. They shoot 70% from three in practice. 70, 70 plus percent. Murray was calling out Landry Shamit and going, we're going to dance. I'm going to get to the elbow, rise up and hit a shot. And it looks spectacular, but it's not because I know he can't stay with me and I know he can't block it. And that's why I just feel so confident about it. So campaign, um, you know, Ross, I don't know who else, Wainwright, whoever else it is. I'm sorry. You're not getting better on defense. No. If you think those guys are going to elevate you to the historic, Denver had a 145 offensive rating at half last game. And they actually sustained it until the garbage time. Yep. They were dominant on offensively. Um, so that's why, to me, I'm not saying the series is over by any means. I'm yeah. just saying that they are so severely compromised that they're going to have to get really creative to to put pressure on Denver. Um, let's go to who else we expect in there, and then I'll get some rotation stuff uh, or defensive scheme stuff. Uh, 
I expect more Damian Lee. And I didn't catch that possession. He talked about Bruce Brown. I'll go back and watch that. Um, Two in a row. To watch it. Uh, I'm expecting a lot more Damian Lee. He is like, he shot the lights out this season. I honestly don't know why he's out of the rotation. To me, it's pretty dumb. I, I think but, it's because he's one of the worst defenders in the NBA. And and that's it. But they might have to be like, we put our better defender out and it didn't make any difference. So we might as well just try to go offense here. Um. Yeah. I mean, look, there's has to be like a recognition of that there you can't look at the stat sheet and not be like, man, we got, we got to take more threes. Right. Like I just, the, the problem for them is their instincts are so hardwired for how they play. Right. Like Booker had this honestly in the second half, like late, like early fourth, before he got pulled, he started attacking the rim more. And I was like, that's notable because once like once ant figured out like, Oh, I can attack the rim and there's nobody there. Like there's nothing there to protect that that ramped up him and so like i'm wondering if like that's a booker adjustment i will also say like and we'll, we'll cover that in a minute though but like again those are twos you know more damian lee is probably like where they're going to get to but if this like you're right in that if the sun's entire answer here is well we're going to have to compromise defense to get more offense on the floor you can do that and denver still has more like you talked about the shooting variants this is one of the reasons that i'm pretty confident about them in game two well, game three game four like things start to change Game two, it's like, oh, the you know, the Nuggets shot really well. Okay, well, even if they shot just a little bit, like if they shot just normal, this was a 25-point lead. How much does that get you? 10? You're still down by 10? And I'm like, telling you, Matt, when I go into the tape, I just see Denver, as most teams do in a game one, run a lot of plays. A lot of this is just collecting data, and they all worked. Like all of them got the thing that you want, wanted to get out of those plays. So that's why I just have this sense of, it's not like they need to change one thing. Denver had a lot of answers for a lot of different questions in that game, and they're going to have to come up with five, six, seven, eight adjustments, uh, in my opinion, became between games one and two. Now, I will say, one of the cool parts about that game, I don't think Phoenix was prepared for how personally Denver takes that matchup. And Denver's been lying to us all week, saying it's just, a, you know, it has nothing to do with it. You can't watch that game and not think that the Nuggets hadn't been sitting on the series waiting for it. And I think that the Suns were a little bit of a one. I think they always played this. This goes back the last two years. I think the Suns have always had a little bit of a cockiness to them. Like, uh, Oh, these are these little guys. We know we'll, we know we can beat them. And that's good. It's not a bad thing. That's a good thing to have, you know, that, that level of confidence. But number two, I don't think they quite realized that this was like, no, Denver wants to make a statement. Yeah. They don't just want to come out here. They're not hoping to make this go seven and hope we can just battle and see what happens. They're like, no, they want to make a point of you. And I just don't think Phoenix was ready for that. And I think they will be ready for that more in game two. Uh, I'll say this. The, the Suns path here in game two, again, not game three, game four. Things change when you get on the road. Game two, like the Nuggets have to play worse. This is not about the Suns playing better. The Nuggets have to play worse. Like, if the like the if the Nuggets control what they can control, they're going to be up 2-0. Again, shifts when they get to Phoenix. They're a different road team. But in Denver, if Denver takes care of what Denver can, and they if they bring most of that energy that they brought in game one, that intensity, like I don't know that Phoenix has the ability to to get there. Like they don't they don't part of this is that after the trade, they don't have an identity. They had a really that, strong that identity. That was so evident in this game. They, they had a really strong identity two years ago. And like right. Jay Crowder was part of that. Yep. Right. It was like, it's a synergistic thing where it's like Chris Paul and Devin and Jay. And then like, you know, Aiden is, is, is more chill, obviously. 
Um, boy, the Suns fans hate him right now. Um, Who? Aiden. They they really really hate Aiden right now. So like, I think it's so funny that he's the scapegoat for everything. <laughs> it cracks me up. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like I just I think that if Denver brings the same intensity, they'll be in a, a really good spot to go up 2-0. Monty Williams after the game said, uh, he he said, we're going to have to change some coverages on Jamal. We can't let him do that again. We were trying, like Matt Brooks and I, who writes for, for Nuggets.com and I were like working through this about what that would mean. And like the options here are a blitz or a switch. And I'm like, I don't think this is going to work out for you the way that you think it will. Like, if they try and blitz Jamal and you put Joker four on three, that's that's the plan. That's not gonna work, like you know. And then conversely, like if you switch it, I don't know if you want it. Like Murray's gonna have space to shoot over. Now that's maybe a better option is just being like we're gonna switch it with 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 Aiton. And if Jamal's making step back threes okay but like it limits the ball movement and not everybody gets involved but i kind of think yoke's gonna be like no no no, let's run the pick and roll again let's put him back in the action like they're gonna keep punishing it so like i don't know it's not that there's no answer for jamal right because jamal might just have like a worse game and there are things that you can kind of do but i don't know how you do that with what denver does so effectively the rest of the time that jamal is not cooking you in all these different types of, of, of sequences off the pick and roll. That's why I say Denver just has so many answers that I, I'll, I'll say this. I don't think teams can out offense Denver. I've thought this of all the entire Yoka era. in the playoffs. Your best punch maybe gets taken away, but Denver is the team that has the most wide range of, of answers offensively. They can just mold themselves into whatever it is. And that's always been true of the Yoka era. I think you have to beat them defensively. And that's why I look at them and I go, these teams can't guard – or the Suns can't guard Denver. They just can't. I I would be so shocked if they came up with a scheme that was going to be the answer to that. I'm with you. You're bringing more blitz. You're trying to help off of – some. who are you helping off of? KCP, Michael Porter Jr.? You're going to try to force the ball in the post. Any of these things, Denver has a great answer to. Not a good answer, a great answer to. So I'm with you. I expect it to go more – You know, I expect Denver to have an answer for whatever it is they try to drone up. Um, and I think Denver opens up even new uh, avenues to success in game two. Booker's numbers are really good. Like Booker's numbers are really good here. Uh, 27 points, eight assists, five in the first quarter, by the way. Um, four rebounds, two blocks, three three turnovers to eight assists. Shot 10 to 19 from the field, shot better than 50%. By the way, I don't remember, like apparently this has happened a lot. I looked it up, but like, the Suns were shooting 55% from the field and down 25 when they checked out. Well, think about the things that are sustainable that led them there, Matt. Is Denver going to get worse on the offensive boards? No. How? I mean, how would they? Yeah. Jock Landale, Bismack Biombo, DeAndre Ayton, Kevin Durant. That's the front court. I mean, they might try Ish Wainwright. That's not going to make a difference. Denver's going to own the offensive boards. You know, and then – just with all of the different ways that they can score on you, all the different pieces, is Denver's bench going to get worse compared to the Suns' bench? I would be shocked if that was the case. So I just think there's too many things that the Suns, again, don't have that adjustment for. Booker, they, The adjustments they have are going to be with their top line, you know, their top players. And those guys, I think, can be better. Yeah. But the fact that it's going to be so much hard for them to be better enough to make up for their deficiencies is the real key. Booker's was really frustrated with the Blitz. It was funny because like the first possession of the game, he got, he forced MPJ into a switch and then took him to the rim and got a goaltend. 
Very first play, man. And then he walked. I'm telling you, Matt, the way he trotted back was this look of like, oh, this is going to be easy. Yeah. And I, I felt the same way. I was like, oh, crap. Yeah, me too. Number like, one. <laughs> yeah. And then that was he, was, he was so frustrated with the blitzes. Like that ball pressure on him was really frustrating for him. And like he made plays, but it's just like, and and you want you want to know what, what a lot of this is, honestly. Um, do you remember how the Jazz never wanted to pass to Rudy when he had guys sealed? Like how consistently you would see like Rudy on a switch and he'd have a guy completely under the rim and Rudy's like got his hand up. But the, the Jazz don't want to pass to Rudy Gobert. The Suns don't want to pass to DeAndre Ayton. They did a lot of it in the second quarter as they were losing control of the game. And like honestly, those rotations are things that the, that the Nuggets, that's where the Nuggets will get better at. Like MPJ was late on one and he got an eight and got an and one. But like on so many of those possessions, especially if Aaron's the low man, Aaron's like right there. Like Aaron knows how to make that rotation and recover. And like Darren. Well, hey, I got to hold up though. I got to hold up there. This was the best I've ever seen Michael Porter as the low man. Yeah. It was the best. I and I think a lot of this was because he was guarding a Kogi and Craig and like, I think it was just, hey, don't worry about those guys. So he was, it was a little bit easier, but he stood out. His defense stood out so much in this game. It was one of the best defensive games I think he's ever played. Um, It's great that he was able to, like, they got, and this is part of it, right? Is like, if they focus on all these other things, guess who's going to pop open more? MPJ. Because they, they, they stayed home on MPJ pretty much. Like, that was part of the game plan. It was like, they wanted to stay home on MPJ. Well, and he was a plus 29, I think, in yeah. 31 minutes or something yeah. like that. Like his value is obviously seen. And by the way, the length, this was a this was a length win. It's not often that Denver has an extreme length advantage against the team, but they did in aggregate in this game. Um the other way you're talking about put two on ball or blitz or switch or whatever. I think the way that they're probably most likely to try first is just to not give up the switches and trail. And I think Denver, I think that's another way that Denver is going to absolutely murder you. Like it's a Kogi's not Nikhil Alexander Walker. I, I will say this in this game, a clearly was trying to draw illegal screen fouls on Jokic. This is one thing I would watch for in game two. He took a bunch of flops and they were flops and the refs never fell for it, but he took a bunch of flops and it made me think this is a thing that they've been like, Hey, we can get him here. We're going to try to fl- be aggressive flopping on, on pick and rolls. So, in this, uh, so I expect that maybe they just tell a Kogi through hell or high water, fight through the screens, and that's what we're going to do. But Murray and Jokic, again, they, they've t- faced that coverage before. They're great at it. Yeah. Uh, from Booker's perspective, I think one of the things that we're going to see him do a lot more is like this is where Denver has to be careful. Like Malone's talked a lot about this is like you've got to be, you have to mix it up a lot. Is if they start showing the blitz too hard or the hedge, the at the level, he's going to reject it. And then he gets middle. And that's what the Nuggets don't want. They want to, as they're, they're really trying to ice everything. And so like, that's going to be one of the things to watch is now a lot of this too. And, and Nikias had a great breakdown on this on Twitter is like the sun spacing was so terrible that the Nuggets always had somebody basically from the other wing available to help. If Booker decided to reject, like if Booker wanted to reject, there's a guy there. Like, but yeah, but Denver was so disciplined, though, Matt, on that in game one. They, they were, were really, really disciplined in that. And it was another contrast between the two teams because I thought Phoenix had mistakes left and right yes. <laughs> defensively. Um, pretty, pretty. Uh, where do we put this as a, like a Malone game? Oh, so high. It's meaningful to me. So I don't know what the number is. The Nuggets, I think, have outscored their opponent by like 57 points in the two game ones combined this year. That's huge. That's well prepared. 
And then again, you knew it all year with how relaxed the team was with, you know, everything like Malone, you just knew he was like, we know exactly how we want to attack this. The team has internalized it and absorbed it. And it, it the game went exactly the way they had scripted it in their heads. Um, I think Malone's rage- actually been great all playoffs. This has been a very good playoffs for Malone. The rage timeout, oh, the rage timeout was really effective after, but when I heard the mic'd up segment, it became even more valuable for him to be like, remember what we're, where we're going, like where we're trying to get to remember what the goal is here. Like that was like a really, and it, it translated because now as opposed to January when you're just like, yeah, okay. Like now you're like, Whoa, we're, we're 12 wins away. Like you're within range. So, um, and absolutely, I, I thought it was a great game from Malone. I thought it was a great game from so many guys. Um, this is I, th- there was very few possessions to judge it from. My early impression is that CP3 is going to hate Christian Brown in the series. Like they might, they're going to end up getting into like a, a, a tussle. What did you think of him? What did you think of him in this game? Um, I thought he was for the first time is the first time that I've ever thought that Christian looked a little out of control on the drives, and some of those plays I thought were bad. I liked his stuff on KD actually more than I liked it on Booker. I thought that I was ready for him to like get destroyed by KD, but handle Booker. Okay. And I actually thought he did okay on KD and it's not that surprising because sometimes smalls give KD some trouble. And I thought that Chris Paul was like, what, what, who are you? Like it was real. Like it was definitely a taste of Chris's own medicine with the physicality and the, and like the pestness. Um, but like, I think he'll probably settle down. Some of the drives were just really out of control. There were some mistakes from Christian, but in general, I thought he like the, this is the thing with Christian is like in the rare game where I thought he had more mistakes than he usually has, which he usually doesn't. He's still impactful because he has all these steals and he's able to make plays and he's still like aggressive on the offensive rebounds. Like he adds, his, he adds value. His, I thought his defense was unbelievable in the second half. I thought his first half stint was up and down. He had some good defensive plays, but his offense was really, he had like some real rookie possessions. But I thought in the second half, his defense, both on Kevin Durant, but also as a help side guy, was unbelievable off the charts. And it was very encouraging. And I agree. I think Malone will trust him a little bit more as the series goes on because he's just another body that can frustrate these guys. And the thing that's so impressive about Christian, rookies usually, like defense is complicated, the strategic part of it. And he just is always absorbs it. Like he, yeah. he's, he's one of the better low men, which is the hard part. He's one of the better ones at anticipating how to read and react to that. Um, so I thought he was really great in the second half. Um, was any nugget not good? <laughs> like, I mean, Jokic missed his shots. Yeah. Uh, I think we've seen the last of Bismack Biombo. I think he's out. I think uh, Jock Landale, like – I would not be surprised if it's like Jock Landale like has some good minutes in game two before like Jokic is going to have to figure him out the way that he has to figure out anybody new, right? And so like he's just not on the scouting report, I don't think. And you know, Joker doesn't have like as much experience against him. Yeah, he's so small, Matt. He's so little. Yeah, he is. Like there's they are they like they are tiny. I don't know if the question here is like is game two when they start going to KD at five. Like, does he, is it, are they that panicked to go to, to go to him in, in that one? Cause I'll here's be- the problem though, Matt, build me a five man lineup. That's, that's going to be effective at, cause usually when you go a five, you have five people that can hurt you on offense. Chris, Damian Lee, book, Tori, KD. I still like still. Okay. For one, that's so tiny. That's not just like, 
a little to Aaron Gordon's feasting in that lineup. Michael Porter's feasting in that lineup. And then Torrey Craig, Chris Paul. All right. We'll can see. I take a little, take, can I take a little victory lap by saying I think the Nuggets are going to blitz Devin Booker and then they should play drop versus Chris Paul? Oh, they did do it. Yep, they were very. And it, they and were, it worked. And daring and daring Chris to be the one that beats them. Like the one again, thing I will say, the one thing I'll say is all of the things that work for Denver defensively, including that the drop versus Chris, only works when you're up. If you're in the last five minutes of a game, that doesn't work because you're Chris. Those two pointers become super valuable. That's but if Denver can build leads at the end, man. <laughs> I think the Suns, you made the point earlier, but the Suns late in the game in the fourth quarter, you could tell they were so shook because they were down so much. And it's like, we need points. And they kept going to the mid range, like, no, we're not supposed to be here. We got to make up more points than this. And it really threw them off. Like, they didn't, I don't, this is the thing. I don't know if they're going to be able to get up threes. Let me see. How many did they get up this game? It wasn't many. You have to, 23. Yeah. No, here's the, here's the thing. So many of that was in the last like five minutes when in garbage time. Right. Like I'm looking it up right now. Uh, yeah. With five minutes remaining, it was it. They that's, had that's when the game was over. Five minutes remaining, they pulled their starters. They had 16. The Nuggets had 15 made three pointers. The Suns had 16 attempts. Yeah. What do you? Uh, so what do you? Um, what do you think they take in game two? How many? Twenty-five. 28 i mean that's a that's a meaningful bump like 28 i'll say 28 like they're gonna i think they i think they'll take more part of this though like this is really and this is a big deal honestly this is a big deal with kevin durant teams as much as like i love kvd and have loved him oh. since he i saw him in college he doesn't change he's just always the same guy like kd doesn't pick on your weakness that's not how he approaches it because he's like i play to my strengths and his strength is like his feel for the game and so like maybe monty comes in and is like well, guys we're gonna have to bomb threes but if you do that the team's it's gonna rattle the team because they'll be like this is not our identity let's well, just be I, who we are well you have to come up with a plan for where they're coming from right i don't it's just the hey we need to look for more so I, I think they're gonna try to set screens a little bit higher i'll, I'll say this I thought Kevin Durant was very bad in the pick and roll in this game. I don't think he read the court well. Jokic got a lot of his kicked balls and tipped balls and even steals when he was the one doing the pick and roll, and that shouldn't be the case. He should actually be their best pick and roll just because of the height. But he, I thought he was really bad making pick and roll decisions. But also, when you talk about changing, I think the biggest change is, and this is hard to do when you're playing 40-plus minutes a night, I think they need to set the screens higher, and as soon as they turn the corner, they need to be playing at 100 miles per hour. I just think that's the way you're going to be able to do it. And I don't know if they're capable of doing that. So safe to say you feel more confident after game one. Oh, a lot more confident. I mean, you have to feel a lot more confident. I do recognize that it's just one game and teams yeah. make adjustments, but it, to me, it's more about, especially when you go back and watch it, it's not that they have to, sometimes you win game one because a team wasn't ready for one thing and then they have to adjust. Denver had a million things that worked for them in that game. And if yeah. I'm the Sun staff, I'm looking at that going, we got to fix this, 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 this. It's, it's not one adjustment. You, it's adjustment all you, over the court. You can't be like, well, you just got to make more shots. You did. Like, that's yeah. what's crazy is like, you did. Now they turn the ball over a lot, which is a real credit to Denver's defense. That's probably like, that's how they get this closer is like, don't turn the ball over as much. What's crazy, I will say this is, um, 
the the number of possessions was like a big deal. The number of shots, right? Like everyone kind of made a big deal out of it. Second chance points. Denver only had 14 on 18 offensive rebound attempts to 12 for Phoenix. It really wasn't there. It was honestly, it was the threes and then 18 to seven points off turnovers. Like that's where they won it. It wasn't like in, in game one, offensive rebounds didn't hurt them because there were so many, but that were just like Joker miss grab, miss grab, miss grab. And like, usually on those, he gets like the fourth one to fall and he just didn't in that game. So you're um, right though about the, uh, the, they dominated the offensive glass, but didn't convert them. And I just think when you go back and look at how they didn't convert them, I'm like, Oh, then that's Denver ran so cold in that one area, but that's, I think they're going to convert those a lot better in game two. Aaron Gordon had 25 and six in this game and went three of four from three point range and didn't get a mention from us. So I want to shout out Aaron for, he was, he's dominant, but he's another one that I think is going to be dominant in this series. I just don't know who they put on him. That's strong enough to bother him in that spot. Uh, Here's one thing Denver didn't get in game one drop offs to Aaron Gordon in the dunker. Yep. They didn't get that. Yep. So we'll see uh, how game two goes. Maybe we'll come back here on Tuesday morning and be like, well, all that changed, but, we're feeling I'm relative. Like, I'll just say like, I have minus four and a half for nuggets. Like I think they win game two. I think the series will flip at some point and they will get tighter, but I do think that the nuggets walk out of game two with a win. I have same way. I think it'll get tighter later on in the series, but I think Denver wins tomorrow. Um, and the biggest takeaway for me is I just believe Jamal Murray when he says we are ready for this, <laughs> we're ready for it. I just players never share anything in pressers for whatever reason. That would be a great thing just to have heard, you know, from this team. But the fact that it came in that exact moment was like, yes, that's the thing we all been wanting to know. Are you ready for this? And he says they are. They've shown nothing but that they are this entire playoffs. And, and I believe him. That's going to do it for Locked On Nuggets for Monday. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you guys being with us. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Give us the five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Give us the likes on the old YouTube. Uh, Locked On, if you didn't hear the pregame or the preview I did with Brandon Clean, Locked On Suns has more subscribers. That upsets me. Let's go. Come on. Send this to a friend. Be like, hey, click the subscribe button. Let's go. We got to get those numbers up. Give us the... the, uh, I know we're at like 4,000 on YouTube, and there are some accounts that have like (laughs) 20,000. We're we're well behind that. We need to get going. Help us out. And uh, we'll talk to you guys again after game two on Tuesday. Thanks for joining us on Locked on Nuggets.